there uh, to thank you for having me um, uh, to, to talk to you about different things. I certainly don't have all the answers. I turned 50 years old this year and I'm still trying to figure it out each and every day. I make plenty of mistakes along the way uh, and will continue to do so. Hopefully I'm limiting, limiting them. I hope you're all staying safe and sane through these interesting times. I, have a, uh, I was just saying I have a 14, almost 15 year old daughter and an 11, almost 12 year old son and uh, I've told them they're, they're going to have a hell of a story to tell uh, and, and one unlike any of us have ever uh, experienced. So I can't impart information as to how to go through what we're going through right now. You're going to have to figure it out and we're going to figure it all out uh, together. And I hope that you are through these, uh, as I said, interesting and challenging times, keeping safe uh, and healthy and as, as sane as we can possibly be through all the Zooms that we do and everything like that. And I know you got great leadership on the men's and women's sides and administration that's uh, trying to get us through the summer and then into a fall that I'm sure you already know. We, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what our world and our country and certainly our, our soccer is going to look like. But um, it's, uh, it, is, it is something that is part of your lives. It's something that's part of my life. We all understand it pales in comparison to all the other stuff. But you know, this is what we love. This is what we talk about. This is part of what keeps us uh, going and alive and obviously a huge part of all of our lives in many different ways, whether on or off the field. Um, and it is, it is La Cosa Nostra. It's our thing, uh, warts and all. It's not perfect, but it's, a, it's, it's what we love. And it will change. Uh, and what our game looks like uh, going forward is going to be changed and is going to evolve and adapt. Uh, and that new normal, whatever it is uh, in terms of life, is also going to incorporate a new type of soccer. That's not necessarily a, a bad thing, but all that is to say is we're going through uh, unprecedented times and ones that, you know, we will all look back on 2020 and, you know, the hits just keep on coming when it comes to 2020, but uh, hopefully we'll uh, head in a positive direction. Matthew, how would you like to go about this? Uh, let's start with you kind of talking about your transition from being a soccer player in college to finding a professional league and then transitioning over to the new MLS. Um, and then after that, uh, life after soccer and being, uh, you know, in the business world on the broadcast side and the front office. Okay, so really quick when it comes to, you know, my, my background, I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Detroit in Michigan uh, and going back and forth between Detroit and Athens, Greece. My father uh, was a professor and my mom was a writer. And to say that they had any ambitions or hopes and dreams of their firstborn being a professional soccer player would, would not even be close to the truth. It's not that they weren't proud. It's not that they didn't uh, encourage me, but uh, that was not something that they they envisioned, uh, and it was. But then they realized that this was something that their their kid liked. He was good at it. Kept him out of trouble, uh, and they certainly encouraged and supported me all the way through. But it wasn't any type of conversation that I could have with either one of them with regards to what I was uh, undertaking when it came uh, when it came to soccer. Like a lot of you, uh, I'm sure, but maybe in a, in a much more rudimentary type of way, um, I, I took the college path. At that point, that was the only path from a soccer perspective, and I took it much more from an educational perspective, uh, although I wasn't a great student. Uh, and I got into Rutgers University, which is the state university in New Jersey, and I went about it completely in the wrong way, in that I knew nothing about Rutgers, I knew nothing about exit nine off of the turnpike, and I had never been to the state of New Jersey, but it was the only place that I got accepted in. I wallpapered my wall with uh, rejection notices, and uh, my father put me in a car, drove me the 16 hours out to exit nine off the turnpike there at Rutgers, 
dropped me off and said, uh, good luck. It's the complete wrong way to do it. And many of you, I'm sure, didn't do it, uh, do it like that. But that's how I got to the, uh, the college part of it. And that's where my real soccer education started. And it's, it's such a pleasure and a privilege to be on here for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is to see my good friend Paul Crumpy, who all of you know. And he, is, he figures prominently in the start of what I consider my education when it comes to soccer. Because I vividly remember being on a soccer field when I first got called into the U.S. men's national team and having him throw balls as we warmed up, me going backwards, him going forward, doing inside of the foot, outside of the foot, you know, the drills that, that everybody has, has done. And it was the start of this incredible adventure and this incredible association with uh, the U.S. national team. And I had seen him and his generation through the, the late 80s and obviously into 90 doing things. And so for me, I was just trying not to mess up. Um, so that's how I got in, into the college part of, uh, of my existence. And being at Rutgers, I was exposed to a much higher level of soccer, higher level of player, higher level of coaching, higher level of facilities. And even saying that, that was back in the, uh, in the 80s, back in the previous century, back in before most of you were even born. And soccer was still a very Wild West type of uh, situation when it comes to the United States. And so you had to figure it out as you as you went along and you guys are so much more far along in terms of all of those things that i talked about whether it's you know the coaching the facilities uh the understanding the communication i mean the fact that we're doing this so therefore the understanding of everybody that's out there the scouting all of that kind of stuff but uh but at least for me coming from detroit it was a whole nother level and i had to challenge myself and I had to do it while obviously maintaining the academic part of it too. And I know, obviously, you guys are all in the, in the college type of pathway. And there's a huge debate that goes on now as that pathway starts to shrink, shall we say, about what is the best path for a professional soccer player. Well, let's first off, you know, cut, cut to the chase, right? 99.9% .9 of the players out there aren't going to be professional. And of those, even a smaller percent are actually going to be successful professionals. So... Uh, so it's a, little, it's, it's a little strange talking about that. However, I will say that I, I think that in our effort and our zeal to create better soccer players out there in the United States, whether it's men's or women's, uh, we have created a generation that oftentimes has bypassed the college uh, experience. And I do think that you benefit from it. You guys are in a lucky position because you have great coaches on the men's and women's side that can make you better soccer players. But even if you were to take that out, some of the lessons and the experiences that you are having, whether it's 2020 or not, they are beneficial because we talk so much about the 90 minutes that soccer players play. And we sometimes forget that arming them with the tools and the skills to function in that other 22 and a half hours is as important and sometimes even more important to their success in that 90 minutes. And so um, I, I just don't want us to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to college soccer. I know college soccer sometimes gets a bad rap, but I still I think it has an incredible value going forward uh, for not just the production of soccer players, but the production of the men and women that are going to lead our country. And that is important to me. And maybe I'm just romantic and, and nostalgic and everything, but I do th feel that it's important. And, you know, someone like, like Paul or any of the coaches on this call, I, I would hope and I would think that the type of individual, the men and women that you are producing is more important than the type of soccer player that you are producing. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a good thing. And so it warms my heart 
that's that you know that that you folks uh, are recognizing that and you might produce great soccer players that's all wonderful but you will also produce great men and women that as i said are going to lead what i think is a, is the greatest country in the world albeit with plenty of faults and plenty of challenges out there so that's that's important and not just our country but you're also producing people that are going to lead other countries and be leaders and i'm not talking just about presidents or anything like that but be leaders in community communities whether it's the united states or anywhere else around the world so that's my little college spiel and how I got to the college part of it, Matthew. Great. And then what lessons did you learn in college that you said, you know, these are things that can help shape you into your career that you were able to bring to your professional career? Uh, you know, budgeting your time, uh, being understanding that, you know, just showing up on time first and foremost, and that type of responsibility, uh, understanding the ability to balance all the other things and your responsibilities that you have off the field, leadership, uh, all of the things that sports in general uh, are important, but you're also in the confines of a campus. And so your interaction with your, your fellow students and that social interaction that you, uh, that you have, whether it's with soccer people or not, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, but you know, soccer is part of the ecosystem in any type of college campus. And you are going to be a reflection on your program. You're going to be a reflection on the game and soccer people within that ecosystem. And then when you get outside of it, uh, you're also going to be reflected on. And, and having that responsibility, and more importantly, I guess the word is having the pride to do the things on and off the field that are going to reflect well on you and that are going to reflect well on your program and they're going to reflect well ultimately on the game. Because, look, this is... As I said, this is our thing. You are part of the soccer community, whether you, whether you like it or know it or not. And the things that you do, do have an impact and do affect things. And you know, so I, I, learned a lot about, uh, I learned a lot about that. I learned about challenging myself when it came to the things that I was doing and the, the ability to have confidence in yourself. You'll have, you'll have people that will lead you and you'll have people that will support you. And we all need champions out there, whether it's parents, whether it's friends, whether it's other extended family, whether it's coaches, uh, whether it's administrators, we're, we will have those. But ultimately, the ability to rely on yourself and believe in yourself as a person, just a person, not necessarily a soccer player, but believe in yourself as a person that you are doing the right things. Doesn't mean you don't screw up. Doesn't mean you don't make mistakes, but believing that you are heading in, in the right path. And that path will deviate and it will meander along. But you know, having that conviction and that belief in yourself, I think is crucial. And it, sometimes it comes out at times at arrogance, but if you can harness that beautiful arrogance uh, and that belief in yourself and ultimately that confidence, that is some good fuel that will serve you well going forward, whether you're kicking a ball on the soccer field or doing other things off of the soccer field in life. So how would you uh, approach getting the most out of yourself and your team and your teammates so that when game day is here, you're at your peak level. Yeah, so as, as, a, as a student athlete, you recognize that you have you know, other responsibilities. I'm not gonna say more or less because you know, that's, that's probably not fair or, or right relative to other students who, you know, I don't know, have other things going on in their, either their campus life or their, their college life or even their extended life out there that, ha that they have responsibilities. But you do have this, this sports component and it requires you to do the things to prepare yourself. And th that preparation is mental and physical. 
with the understanding that you're also at college and you're there to have that college experience and you don't want to cheat yourself of those experiences that I've been talking about. But you do have to have a recognition that the things that you are doing, you know, the, the sleep that you're getting, the things that you are eating, the things that you're not doing, let's be honest, uh, can have a massive impact to what, uh, to what you're doing. In the same way that, you know, look, if you have a, a, a final exam or something and you know, we all, we've all been told about the fact that when you cram for an exam, ultimately there comes a point where you can't really cram anymore and you're just actually doing yourself a disservice by staying up later and not giving yourself the rest. And at the, you know, in the same way that that applies, it applies to whether it's training or whether it's uh, games, it's recognizing that the things that you are doing now can impact how successful you are later. And I guess that's I'm not here to give you life lessons or anything like that, but it does apply both in the short term and the long term. The things that you are doing now, while they may seem hard or even they may seem strange, they will pay off. And they might pay off in the short term or they might pay off in the, in the long term. And so I recognize that. And, and look, it's trial and error. And, and as I said, you're going to make mistakes, but mistakes aren't the problem. It's just if you keep making the same mistakes over and over again, then, then you got a problem uh, that you're going to have to deal with. And if you don't deal with it, somebody else is going to deal with it for you. Playing soccer, you get an opportunity to uh, meet a number of different teammates. You get an opportunity to be in different areas. What are some of the things that you've learned that you really weren't expecting to take away from the game? Well, I mean, I, I you know, Paul can attest to this and others can. Uh, soccer one of the things that appealed to me about the game of soccer was that this was something that was being played all over the world. And there's not a lot of things that, that bind us uh, with, you know, when I, when I was 10 years old and I would go out onto the sidewalk in front of my house in, uh, in Detroit and juggle the ball, I knew that on the other side of the world, there was also a 10 year old doing the exact same thing. And we might not share a whole lot in common language, culture, experiences, day-to-day -day living or anything like that. But we did have that one thing in common, and that was, that was the ball. And the ability to, to recognize that I was playing a game that the world was playing, that really appealed to me. And look, I love, I grew up playing hockey, and I, and I love our American sports uh, and, and the things that we have done with it. But I guess it was kind of a, you know, think globally, but act locally type of thing. And I loved that about the game. And it has exposed me to so many different places, you know, the travel involved that I've been fortunate enough to do and to go all over the world to see the game. Uh, and in doing so, see so many different cultures and meet so di many different people that without the game, to be quite honest, I, I don't know if I would have had those experiences. And that was an incredible benefit. And I was incredibly fortunate and privileged to be able to do that because it gives you a better perspective. It gives you, you know, either an appreciation or a greater appreciation for the situation that you are in uh, and maybe a better self-awareness of maybe how good you have it uh, or how lucky you are to be in that situation. Or it gives you a really good compare and contrast and maybe opens up your mind about thinking about things in a, in a different way. And while that may not have anything specifically or directly to do with kicking the ball, it, it, it came from the game. And you know, I was, I was gifted that through the game, regardless if we, we won or not, uh, being able to see some of those places and discover those things and bring that back 
with me in my mind to be able to think about things in a different way. Over your career, the game has evolved. And what are some things that you see are different now or when you finish playing versus when you were in college? And what would you teach a younger version of yourself so that you're, you're better prepared? Well, I mean, there's, there's the usual things that are kind of timeless in that you don't know what you got till it's gone and your ability to appreciate the moment. And, and those all ring true. And since they are timeless, it means that no matter what, you're, it's, you're, you're destined to repeat that. So, you know, the, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, education is sometimes wasted on the youth uh, or a, a professional soccer career is sometimes wasted on the youth. There's certain things that you just, in the moment, tend to not appreciate when it comes to living that. And you, you kind of have to go forward and age before you have that type of perspective to uh, look back. But when I do look at, at the world that, that you guys are growing up in relative to soccer, um, and when it comes to the world or, or our world in the United States, I mean, we are so much further along. We kick ourselves for what we haven't done, but we also have to pat ourselves on the back for how far we have come in a relatively short period of time. And I look at, for example, the supporters culture phenomenon that has happened uh, over the last 20 years in the United States and how much of it has, bec has become above ground. It's no longer underground or niche anymore. And the way that a whole generation now thinks of themselves and looks at themselves through the lens of soccer and the way that they talk and the way that they dress in the things that are important to them and it's so many different things whether it's the you know the coming of age of the game with the 94 world cup and then the 99 world cup uh, from the women's perspective whether it's the formation of nwsl or all the other uh, women's leagues that have, that have come before or mls or usl whether uh, you know i said it's all the uh, the infrastructure the stadiums that are online the television that that uh, this generation is exposed to when it comes to soccer there's just so much more at their fingertips. And that more isn't always better, but in this case, I think it's so much better. Uh, you know, the scouting network that I talked about, the ability to be seen, you know, the amount that actually of talent that falls through the cracks. I'm not saying there isn't talent that falls through the cracks, but it's much less than it used to be. Uh, and all of that kind of stuff bodes well for the future. And then, you know, the, the, the once again, an evergreen type of quality when it comes to American soccer is, you know, we're not king and we do have all this other competition with other sports, but we've been able to kind of create this unique version of the game. And I, I for one, am incredibly proud of the fact that the American soccer culture is unlike any soccer culture around the world. We pick and choose and take the best parts of everything. And maybe we say, you know, that's not, that's not for us, but it's also constantly evolving and changing. And it's being done in a country that you know, what I feel makes us the greatest country in the world is this incredible diversity and this melting pot that we have. But it's, but it's being done in a country where we have all of these different ideas about what the game is on and off the field. And it's wonderful. It, at times it's challenging because even on this call, if I asked everybody on this call what you think is beautiful soccer, I'd get however many people are on, or 50 or whatever, different versions of what it is. And so we all have to find a way to come together at a, at a certain point and we don't know if we always have to agree, but we, we are bringing this all together and kind of mixing it up into this American version of, of the game. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's going to produce something really, really unique when it comes to that ultimate culture that is American soccer. And maybe we never actually get to defining it. Maybe it's constantly changing and maybe that in and of itself is what the culture is. Yeah, that's great. One of the, you know, 
automatic themes now has to be overcoming and dealing with adversity. What are some pieces of, of advice that you have for our teams to be, you know, preparing for what's lying ahead, utilizing the time they have now and overcoming the challenges that we're facing? So one thing that you find whenever, and it does, it's not even about the elite level, but anytime that you go up a level and you are challenged and you are competing against better people. When I say competing, not just about soccer, but just competing in life, you will find that those that succeed are able to recognize that it's not about being twice or three times the player. Sometimes it's really, really fine margins that separate the good from the great. And the ability to recognize opportunity and use that opportunity. So, you know, for, so for example, you know, last night I was working and, uh, you know, talking about Major League Soccer, which has just come back online over the last, uh, last week. And so for the last three months, these players have been, like many of you, Zooming, being at home. And some of them will have recognized beforehand that, look, we all know it sucks and we can all be down about it. And certainly there's, there's a moment for that. But some of them will have recognized that, hey, this is an opportunity. And even if it's something as small as, you know what? Going into quarantine uh, and, and the lockdown, I, I wasn't good at the outside of my left foot or something like that. And if you had used those three months where all you did uh, was get better in that one little small aspect, that might be the difference between being good and being great. And so there, there are those that will have used this and looked at it as a, as much as it sucks, as find the positive in there and find the opportunity in there. And then it's about, then it's about work. And a lot of it isn't necessarily the physical part of it. It's, it's, it's up here as a lot of things in life are. And that's what's going to separate you and not just separate you as a soccer player, but separate you as, as a person. Can you find an advantage somewhere uh, that through hard work will enable you to separate yourself? And when I say separate, it's not night and day. Sometimes it's just this much more. And maybe that outside of the left foot ball that you are able to hit uh, either on goal or as a pass, that now makes you a better player. And maybe that's what separates you from starting or not starting or winning an award or winning a game or whatever it ends up, ends up being. So, you know, these, these are some of the things that we are thinking about and that we are talking about. And when it comes to the professional game, where it is their job to play soccer, I think it's fair. And one of the things we're doing right now is judging the individual player, judging the teams, judging the staff as to what have they emerged like? What are they looking like? Have they done work? Are there teams that haven't done work? Uh, why haven't they, uh, they done that work? And look, I know that there's, there's challenges out there, but I do think, for example, if a team or a player emerges from this and is visibly better and has improved in some way uh, or hasn't regressed as some have, that, that's a quality. And there's something to be celebrated and praised in people that recognized ahead of time and then did the work, even when nobody was watching. By the way, when nobody was watching, and that's where most of the work gets done is when people aren't watching. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you for all these answers. I have a, a submitted question from one of our student athletes. Uh, and he asked, in terms of tactics, what's the difference, uh, the biggest difference in playing soccer in the United States versus overseas in Europe? So when I, my, when I first played in Europe, uh, I went to Italy and, uh, one of the weird things is in 1994, I played in the, in the World Cup, which was actually here in the United States. 
And when I stepped on the field, while I had a ridiculous number of international caps uh, and, and, and appearances, I had never been on the books at a club team. And so usually what happens is you play well in a club situation, the national team sees you, they bring you in, then you either do well and you continue on or, or you don't. If you look at guys like myself and Kobe Jones, when, when we stepped on that field, because we would have been in residence for two years, all we did was play international games. And that was our only experience. So my first experience being in a club was being in Italy. And not just being in Italy, but being in Italy in the 90s when Serie A over there was the place to go. Most money, the most prestige, all the best players. And for me, not having grown up in that soccer type of culture, to get thrown into that fishbowl that is soccer over in a place like Italy, and it applies to other places too. But that was a eye-opening experience to know that what happened in that game on Sunday can impact your life that next morning when you go to the bank or when you go to the supermarket. And what happens, you know, the competition of, you know, you're taking food off of somebody's table. And by the way, you're a high profile player and an international player. And so the expectation is that you perform, uh, you know, all of those different things and all of those different dynamics came into play and really, it was, a, it was an eye-opening, as I said, eye-opening experience and really interesting for me to go through that, even though I had just played in a World Cup. It gave me a certain level of credibility and experience, but I had to kind of start over and figure out what a club type of scenario and situation was because I hadn't been through something like that. We have a number of international players on both rosters. What were some of the things that helped make sure that when you were playing in Italy, you were able to transition right away and get onto the pitch and, and perform? So first is language. Um, you know, I, the first night that I ever was in Italy, uh, I went right from the airport and they drove me up to the, uh, you know, the beautiful Italian Alps where we were staying in preseason. And they roomed me with the only other player on the team that even spoke a little English. And he only spoke a little English. And I, I remember sitting down with him in the hotel room after dinner and conjugating verbs and starting to conjugate verbs. And look, as I said, I wasn't a great student by any means, but I at least was smart enough to understand that this would help me. Um, I wanted to know what people were saying, either about me or about the, the situation. I wanted to be able to communicate, obviously, with either my teammates or with the public. And I also recognized that even from an optics perspective, learning the language, it, it, it endears you and it, and it it gives you a little bit of a cushion. And so I knew from that moment that that was important. So that was good. And I was encouraged by others, even though they didn't speak English, they really were supportive of me learning it. And they just wanted, even if I screwed it up, it really didn't matter as long as they saw that I was making an effort. And it really was a, a, a form of respect, uh, if you will. So, so that was, you know, that, that was important. You know, secondly, recognizing that I was a guest in somebody else's country and culture. And while I ha may have ideas uh, that I'm going to bring to the table and, and, and obviously champion at times, I'm, st I'm, I'm still a guest. And being open to understanding that just because I think a certain way or act a certain way or do a thing a certain way, you know, doesn't mean that, that, that that's not, it's not inappropriate. It's just, it, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to play the same way in a completely uh, different culture. And by no means do I, do I mean try to be something that you're not or, or dampen who you are or anything like that, but just recognize that in a different country and in a different culture, you are also representing your country 
and in my case, my, my game. And I didn't want to leave a, a bad impression of who I was because it reflected on me. But as I've, I told you earlier, also what it reflected on American soccer. I wanted to do well on the field and I wanted to be you know, perceived as, as good off the field in, in, in who I was without you know, completely abandoning who you are as, as a personality or a character or anything like that. But it did mean, it, it did mean something to me to hopefully leave a good impression of myself and directly or indirectly uh, American soccer, not, not, not have it be scorched earth. And as a follow-up to that, one of our athletes asked, how did you deal with the language barrier at the beginning and how long did it take you to become comfortable or fluent or whatever level you ended up being? Yeah, I mean, different cultures deal with it differently. Obviously, in Italy, as I was saying before, they were much more receptive and they were willing to give you the benefit of the doubt and, you know, making mistakes didn't matter. They were just so excited because, once again, it was a form of respect to actually try to learn the, the language. And it really does help. And, you know, covering leagues now for so many years and covering players, you know, I, I cover the Bundesliga for a bunch of years and almost to a man, the players that are able to go over and figure out how to speak German, it really, really helps them. Um, so they, they were really supportive in, in Italy. You know, I would go on television shows and, and I would do interviews. And I, it was this strange mix of Italian and Spanish, which I knew coming over, which actually helped a lot, um, and English. And they didn't care that I was messing up words or tenses or anything like that as long as, long as I was, uh, was trying. And in, you know, in a moment where they might have just crushed you for a bad game or a bad pass or anything like that, there may be just that brief moment where they give you a benefit of the doubt because you, you look like you're trying. And look, ultimately, we're all going to be judged by the wins and losses when, when it comes to professional game and whether you play well or you don't. But there are moments where you need a little help. And I didn't want to do anything that was going to be detrimental. And I wanted to do things that would give me a little bit of help. And even something like learning a language at a certain point can help you. Here's a question about risk. Um, with MLS first starting, and when you first got out of college, there was no outdoor American Pro League. What was it in your mind deciding to come to the States again to play versus staying overseas and continuing in an established league? And one of the proudest moments of my life was getting on the plane. Uh, as much as I loved my experience in Italy, was getting on the plane and flying back uh, in 1996 for the beginning of Major League Soccer. And, you know, look, I, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants uh, that will, will never be known and will never get the praise and the due that they deserve because, you know, American soccer didn't start with the 94 World Cup, okay? And American soccer didn't start with Major League Soccer in 1996. Uh, there's a whole history that, uh, of players that work, but this is, this is our thing. And this is about leaving something for that next generation. I'm so proud that all of the stuff that I went through, um, first off, it was, it was better than the previous generation. But when I look at a, a, a kid that's growing up today, and they don't have to go through any of that. It makes me incredibly proud uh, of, of the, the world that they are growing up in and the soccer world uh, that they are growing up in, uh, in right now. And I, you know, I, I, think back, I think back to the challenges that we have or that we had, and it was crazy on and off the field. And none of that exists uh, anymore. There's still challenges, there's still challenges nowadays. 
But, you know, when I think of coming back to Major League Soccer, you know, that moment, getting on the plane, coming back to be, start of, to be the start of something from the beginning, you don't get a lot of chances to be there from the start. You know, you might, you might start a company uh, or you might be there at day one of a company being started. Um, and, it's, and it's amazing to look back. But to say that I was there at the beginning of 1996 and something that not only lasted my career, but hopefully is going to last well beyond my lifetime, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing to say. And so that's the way that I was thinking about it is that, and look, you know, Paul will tell you what we all know that our past is littered with defunct teams and leagues, and it's a Wild West type of existence. And this is the most successful, in, in terms of Major League Soccer, the most successful American slash Canadian league that's, uh, that we've ever had in history. Doesn't mean it's promised to tomorrow. I mean, it could, it could go away. I hope it doesn't. But um, th- th- we are much further along than we were. But you got you to start somewhere. And so it was, it was much more about a pride about coming back and being there from the start of something that we believed we didn't know we had cautious optimism that this was going to be the one that was going to stick and it's not perfect it's got plenty of, of problems and challenges but um but yeah it was it was about pride in 96 coming back thank you and when transitioning for your career after soccer were there things you did as a player to prepare yourself or was it as soon as you finished your last appearance, you then started focusing. What were your steps to making sure that you'd have a successful year, whether it's you know, any kind of uh, one of our students ending after their college time or after years of professional, what is it that they can be doing to make sure they're professionally successful? Yeah, so as I've told you, I think num- numerous times now, I wasn't the smartest guy, but I, the, this, this thing I did know, um, and because young, players will come and ask me for advice why I don't know. But uh, the, the, the limited advice that I have is uh, if you see a jumping off point, uh, look at it very, very carefully. We, we all want a, a career to end in this wonderful, after a, you know incredible longevity, then end in this wonderful moment and you ride off into the sunset and there's all of these opportunities. And the reality is that for 99.999% of the, of the players out there, uh, men, women, uh, at, at whatever level, that's, that's not how it ends. A lot of times you'll walk into a room uh, and you will be sat down. And when you walk out of that room, you don't have a job and you don't know what your prospects are. I was at least smart enough to know that when those opportunities came along, to think long and hard about them because they might not be there when I wanted them. And so I saw an opportunity when I was 33, 32, 33 years old to go into the front office and uh, front offices of Major League Soccer. And I could have continued to play, but I recognized that while I could play a couple more years, then those opportunities might not be there. And this was an opportunity for me to get a, a whole different type of experience and use, use it to propel me into what's going to lead me for the next chapter of my life where I don't even kick a soccer ball. And so that's those are the types of things that I was thinking about. In, uh, in 2000, I took a year off from soccer, which is not the normal thing to do. Way before Landon Donovan was ever taking a sabbatical, I was taking sabbaticals way back in the, way back in the day. And I, w- I had been burning it at both ends, on and off the field for a number of years. And I just got to the point where I knew I needed to stop playing. And I stopped playing for a full year. And I actually went and did uh, television. And that was really, really eye-opening and, and interesting for me and kind of set the uh, the groundwork for me to then do some stuff uh, later on. I worked the the, uh, the Olympics in uh, in Sydney in Australia, uh, and did some some shows here and did some local regional uh, 
play-by-play -play type of stuff because uh, I knew that that was something that that interested me but I also knew that I would I still had some years to play and then I went back and, and continued to to play and then once again that that moment where you, I could have continued to play but you know if it if there is an opportunity out there, I know we all have our hopes and dreams and I would never want to deter anybody from following them, even if you fail. Uh, but you, you, you also have to be smart and you have to recognize that opportunities will come along and you hope that they'll, you know, other ones will come along later on. Um, and it's, and it doesn't mean that you, that you have to definitely say yes to everything out there, but just, Think long, long and hard. And if there's an opportunity for you to, like I said, take a step off into something else that is then, then going to put you in a position to succeed even longer, that's it. Because while a career may be defining and it may be a wonderful point of your life, it's very finite and it's a very small portion of your life if you knock on wood, live a long life. And the things that you do can help you, but it will come and go much quicker than you ever thought it would. And you better have some other things in your life that excite you and challenge you in different ways because you'll never be able to replicate actually playing um, that you can go to because that's going to be the majority of your life. Let's be honest in the, because I said, you know, a, a career is a very short period of time relative to a long lifespan. Thank you. Uh, on the field, you know, the game evolves and we see different styles of play and different techniques uh, in the past couple of years, uh, in terms of the U.S. game, what do you see as the trend now, and do you kind of see it changing or keeping going forward? Okay, so let's talk some soccer here. So, um, you know, sometimes we talk about the past of American soccer, and we, we kind of talk about it in these, for lack of a better, like caveman type of terms, in that all we did was kick the ball long and and you know, break legs and grunt as we ran around the field. That's, that's not necessarily true, but the game absolutely has evolved. And I think, you know, for example, if you look at the, um, you know, the men's team, let's take the men's team first and then we'll go to the, the women's side. Uh, if you take the men's team right now, they are trying to do some things that haven't been done in the past, either because it wasn't it wasn't the, the, the thing to do or it wasn't the, the latest fad or just the recognition that we just didn't have the players to do what Greg Berhalter wa wants to do right now. Now, maybe he still doesn't have the players, but at least he's trying to do something. I believe that he is a true believer in what he wants to do. Um, I believe he's a romantic. I'm not necessarily sure if this works out ultimately, but I, I have to respect the fact that he wants to do some things different. And we talk about a lot of this boils down to possession and playing out of the back. Right. I mean, that is the thing that everybody does right now that everybody kind of wants to do. And that is the that's the the ultimate goal is to be able to from the goalkeeper, play it short, uh, break lines and get through whatever pressure that you have after you know 15 passes or whatever it ends up being and then put it in the in the back of the net. And that to a lot of people is sexy soccer to a lot of people. That is romantic to a lot of people. That's the beautiful game. Okay. Now, look, I'm, I'm not going to go off into a tangent and argue that I can, I can argue that a long ball uh, in, that is perfectly placed into a post-up type of player who brings it down off of one touch uh, and lays it off and then goes through is as beautiful to me as, as the, the five passes or anything like that. But that's what we're, that's what we're talking about right now. And I think it's, I, I think it's fascinating to see uh, as to 
whether this is going to be able to be implemented uh, by Greg Berhalter, especially now because he's not going to have a lot of time with, uh, with the team, or is this actually the right way to go? Because I mentioned earlier about all of these different uh, and diverse type of ways of thinking about the game. That makes it kind of hard for someone like Greg Berhalter to put 11 men on the field that all think about the game in the same way. Um, and it means it's much more exclusive as opposed to, uh, as opposed to inclusive. And that, you know, that sometimes runs counter to what we are uh, as a country. But he has to find the players, if he hasn't already, that are able to implement what he wants, uh, what he wants to do. And I don't know if it's, if, if it's going to work. I think it's going to be fascinating to see because, in theory, this is a more evolved type of approach as to how to play the game. You know, on the women's side, it's, it's a little different because we have dominated for so long and we have reaped the benefits from a, let's be honest, a culture and society that has valued women's sports. And when it comes to the men or the, uh, the women's uh, to women's soccer has put in the resources enough. No, but certainly a whole lot more than pretty much everybody else. And that's why we are the juggernaut that we are. But other, other countries are, uh, are trying to catch up and other countries are putting more resources in. And there will, there will be more competition. And so how we go about changing and evolving either how we play or how we identify our women's players or being able to maintain that distance that we have, uh, that we have gotten, that's what's going to be uh, fascinating. And, you know, always having a target on our back. Now two-time two World Cup champions in a row. Can you go for three? How do you freshen it up and now without the olympics being this summer and who knows if they're going to be next summer let's fingers crossed everything goes goes well um it's fascinating look it's a good problem to have from a women's perspective uh and if you look at the two the two sides of the program you know the women continue to lead the way when it comes to what they are doing the success the attention the relevant uh nature of what they are doing on and off the field uh relative to the, uh, to the men's side. So the men, you know, first and foremost, had to figure out a way to qualify and get back. Not that that should be a cause for celebration because we've done it many, many times before, but let's be honest, we didn't do it last time. So that's the first order of business. Uh, following up on that, what was your reaction to the USDA and the development programs um, changing and closing down and, and how that can affect the future of US soccer? So I think it, it goes back to, you know, philosophy. A lot of times we'll talk about style of play or identity or philosophy and all of these, these, you know, these different words that we throw out. And, you know, you look, you, you guys have a philosophy and it comes from the coaching staff that wants to say, this is how we are going to play. Some of it is, this is how we're going to play and we're going to get the players to play like that. Some of it is, okay, we might want to play like this, but these are the players that we have. And so this is what we are, we are going to, uh, what we are going to do. And I think that's, I, I love that, but it also means that everybody's going to have a different idea. And so when us soccer was in the business of player development, they're going to decide ultimately that this is how we want to play. And that is going to come down from on high. And I think there was a recognition that they don't want to be in that type of development situation. They're still going to have youth national teams and, and still have an identity and a way of playing, but they really wanted to give it back to obviously the, uh, the teams and the clubs so that they can define it. And, you know, the LA galaxy might want to play very differently than, you know, 
Landon's San Diego team down there, or LAFC might want to play very differently than any other program. And within college, colleges might want to play uh, different types of styles. And I think what it's going to do is make people and force players to really examine where they go and the type of player that they are, and is it the right fit? And by the way, that examination is going to be done on the other side too. And you're going to have to be able to articulate, and this is what I harp on, and not to get off on a tangent here, is people talk about so much stuff, but they don't publicly and privately articulate it and then agree on it, have a collective agreement that this is who we are, this is how we're going to play. Because don't talk to me about identity or philosophy of play if you're not willing to stand by it. Okay, if you are not willing to formulate it and articulate it publicly and privately so that everybody can understand and accept this is what we're doing, that's a style of play. And a lot of people will say it, but they're really not, they're, you know, they're really just kind of winging it when we go down, down there. And, you know, we, we've winged a lot of stuff uh, over the years and I don't, want to, I don't want people to wing it. Even if I don't agree with it or even if I don't fit with it, I would rather have someone have a plan that I think is flawed than someone have no plan at all. All right, so we have a few more minutes with Alexi, so if there are any final questions, please send those in. Um, one question that came in, what is your most memorable game? Oh, look, I'm, I'm sitting in front of you today because of the 94 World Cup, and you know, it changed my life forever. I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. That's why I'm so excited about you know, 2026 when we'll, we'll get the World Cup back. And it's going to be huge. It's going to be incredible. But there's, you know, there's a player right now that we may know or we may not know. There could be a player here on this Zoom call whose life is going to completely change. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, the 94 World Cup and, and obviously down the road here in uh, at Pasadena at the, at the Rose Bowl, the game against Columbia changed everything. All intents and purposes, we had gone through to the next round, gotten out of the group. There was a lot of pressure on us to, just for, from a soccer perspective, you know, bring some, some pride and not embarrass ourselves. Let's be, let's be honest. And so that, that day was phenomenal. That was one of those days that you, you grow up thinking about you know, the flag and, the, and, and you know, an American crowd and doing something that people said couldn't be, all that, all that kind of stuff. That was, that, was, that was one of the good days in my, in, in my life, without a doubt. And, and on a wonderful summer. And I, I, as I said, I benefited on and off the field from the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual, and it will change your life uh, forever. And so I don't know who that player is going to be in 2026, but it's going to be fun to be able to see it again. Uh, obviously, not just in the United States, with, uh, with Canada and Mexico being the, uh, the joint hosts there. And it's going, to be, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Who's the best player you ever played with, and who's the best player you ever played against? So I, I always say when it comes to – that I played with, it's Tab Ramos. Um, for those, uh, those that don't know, uh, God, five, 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 six, probably. I don't know, Paul, you tell me, but uh, he, <laughs> he was, uh, and he is, he's now the coach uh, in Houston. He was a man out of time. Uh, when, I, when I stepped on the field with the national team uh, with him, it was very, very clear that he was too good for any of us. We were, he was slumming playing with us, believe me. Uh, and, and he was, almost almost he was almost it was almost detrimental in that he was so much better than any of us that 
he would do things and be thinking things that none of us could even comprehend. And he was on such a different plane that it actually hurt us at times having him there. Or we would just give him the ball and kind of fold our arms and say, all right, do what you do. And he would have to do it all alone because nobody was even close to, uh, close to his level. I would have loved to see someone like Tab Ramos, what he would have been had he been born 20 years later. And you know, into all the things that we've talked about, into a very, very different U.S. soccer culture. I, I have a feeling that he would have not just been one of the great American players in the world, but just one of the great players in the world who happens to be American. And I know there's a lot of talk about Christian Pulisic, who's, who's just a wonderful, wonderful talent. But when I think about what Tab was able to do uh, way back then was amazing. I mean, his first two steps, his low center of gravity, his weight shifting, uh, and then it's just his touch, all of that kind of stuff was light years ahead uh, of a lot of us. So I always have, when I get this question all the time, I, I, I always say tap. Uh, that's awesome. And uh, I guess the question then becomes, is, is he your view of the uh, greatest U.S. soccer player in history? Oh, the greatest U.S. soccer player in history? Uh, well, it's Mia Hamm. Uh, when, if, if you're asking, if we have to split them up between men and women, uh, I would say Mia Hamm, because I think she fundamentally changed the way that we think, not just about women's soccer, but soccer in the United States. Uh, a reluctant hero, but still the, you know, the, the level of notoriety and publicity that she generated for herself and then for the game at a time when everybody was kind of focused with 99 and everything, uh, it, was, it was incredible. Um, when it comes to the men's side, you know, I always, I go back and forth, but I, you know, I still think the best player is Landon. Uh, I would always pick, it goes between Landon and Clint Dempsey. I always said that I, if I had to win a World Cup game, I would pick uh, Landon Donovan. But if I had to win a bar fight, I would pick Clint Dempsey. And uh, that's just a, you know, that's just a, a way of saying that they were very, very different, different types of players and, and types of personalities. Let's be, uh, let's be honest. But yeah, those are the, you know, that's the, the hierarchy, I guess, that I look at uh, right now. But, you know, the, the young talent that we have coming out, I mentioned Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney and Tyler Adams and Jordan Morris's and, you know, all of these different players uh, that are coming along. I, I, I still remain very positive and bullish about the, uh, about the future. And, and, you know, not making the World Cup in 2018 from a men's perspective was, was devastating. We're still feeling the effects, but it happens. And maybe we needed to step back in order to go two steps uh, forward. But let's not take another step back <laughs> going forward. So Greg Berhalter and, and company, I hope they, uh, they figure it out and they qualify for that uh, next one. Then out, and then obviously in 2026, uh, do some good things. It's a nice little ramp we have up to 2026. Well, on behalf of LMU and, and the men's and women's soccer programs, uh, I thank you. And I know our coaches and student athletes, thank you for coming on. Is there any final thoughts that you want to leave our, our players with um, before we uh, wish you goodbye? No, I mean, I just want to say thank you again uh, for everybody and, and uh, for, you know, for letting me, for letting me do this. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, as I said before, I, I, I have fond memories of, of LMU over the years, whether it was training there with, with the national team way back in the day, uh, whether it was training there with the galaxy. I, I, I remember, uh, Ziggy Schmidt uh, running us, <laughs> making us go for a run through that entire neighborhood that you guys obviously uh, know, and having the entire LA Galaxy team 
cutting through people's backyards and across people's front lawns and everything as we went round around that neighborhood, uh, getting ready for uh, getting ready for well, what would have been preseason, I I guess. So you guys are in, even though it's 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 a, a very different situation right now. You're still in rarefied air and take advantage of it, use it, um, uh, respect it, and uh, and recognize that you know the things that you do today will help you uh, going forward. And as I said before, not, not even about, about kicking the ball. And you have, some, you have some wonderful leadership and some wonderful champions in the, in the coaching staff that you have uh, on both the men's side and the women's side, and then the administrators who are there to support you. And they're there to help you. And they're there ultimately to make you better people when they kick you back out into this crazy world that we, uh, that we live in. And maybe you're better soccer players, uh, or, or, and hopefully you're better soccer players, but most importantly, hopefully you're uh, you're better people. But it's it's not one sided. You gotta you gotta be part of it. So uh, don't hesitate to do that and, and to use all of those things at your uh, at your disposal because you're much more fortunate than a lot of people out there. And so perspective is important, I think, in this time. Whether I'm talking to my kids or anybody else, you know, they they live uh, in as I said, rarefied air and are much more fortunate and privileged than a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people out there. And you know, I'm. I'll leave you with this. I'm, I'm working the, uh, the Major League Soccer return that is happening down in Orlando. And, you know, we hear sometimes professional athletes, whether it's soccer or anybody else, sometimes lose perspective and complain about the heat down there or complain about a box lunch that they have to eat or m- morning games or anything like that. Um, you know, we, we are very, very fortunate relative to a lot of people out there who, who, who are struggling and don't have the advantages and don't have uh, the benefits that are that are given to us. And it doesn't mean you have to apologize for it, okay? And uh, and it doesn't mean you have to harp on it, but at the very least, you got to respect it and use it to your advantage. Uh, because the worst thing in the world is to be given those opportunities and given those uh, benefits and for you for not either not to recognize it or recognize it and not to utilize it. Uh, to your advantage. So take advantage of it because it will, it will make your life on and off the soccer field a whole lot better going forward. Well, thank you, Alexi, for, for taking an hour to speak with both of our programs. And, you know, once we get back into regularity, you're more than welcome to catch a game at Sullivan Field and, uh, and join us then. Thank you, guys. And thank you for sticking around and not, uh, you know, clicking off. So go, go do much more important things, all right? Go be good people. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Alexa. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. And just a heads up, it's good to see all the, the men and the women on this call. Uh, before Alexi leaves, there's some news that came out for our international students that uh, the Trump administration, just while we were on this call, uh, backed off from forcing international students to take anything but online classes. So some really good news for, especially for our internationals. So just so you guys are aware, there was some good news on top of the, all the discussion with Alexi. Nice. All right.